Welcome to the Unfair Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our OMFIF podcast. My name is Nikhil Sangani. I'm the Managing Director of Research at OMFIF. And today I'm joined by Adnan Memon, who's the COO and Head of Data and Analytics of City's Business Advisory Services team. Uh, Adnan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nikhil. It's a pleasure to be here and join you once again. Thank you. Uh, Today we'll be discussing the topic of ESG investing and data and some of the challenges and opportunities around that. Uh, And to give the listeners some some context here, uh, Adnan contributed an article to our Global Public Pensions 2022 report, which was launched by OMFIF in uh, December last year. Uh, The report covers uh, the top 100 global public pension funds and the largest 50 sovereign wealth funds in the world. Uh, with total assets of $27 trillion. Our report also included for the first time uh, a bespoke survey of global public funds worth over $3 trillion. We asked these funds uh, various questions about their investment strategies uh, and also around how they're approaching ESG, which is one of the chapters that was featured in the report. Some of the key findings around ESG that we found was that uh, over 80% of respondents plan to invest more in renewable industries uh, and 50% uh, plan to increase allocations to green bonds. So certainly a lot of interest amongst the investment community in uh, ESG. Although saying that, we found that over 70% of respondents stated that the biggest challenge around ESG investing was insufficient data and information. So this is a topic I know, Adnan, you've looked at uh, very closely. I wanted to know uh, what you've been working on. How and why has data been a challenge to ESG investors? One of the things that we, we've seen is that uh, when we talk about ESG, we've realized that there are so many things grouped together in there. And what our clients have been telling us and the way that we've been able to build out our reports based upon those findings is to say, well, first of all, you need to define what you mean by ESG. What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to actually get out of that? And then when you realize that, you can split out those different objectives between E versus S versus G, and then how you go about trying to find the ways you achieve those. And then even within each of those letters, at E, for example, you could look at carbon emissions, you could look at water quality, you could look at air quality, you could look at all of these other potential aspects that relate into how we think about ESG investing as a whole. And then when you try to break that down into more and more granular levels, you realize that there's, it's in some cases, it's hard to find the data to put that together, to put that understanding together of how you fulfill that specific criteria. So when a fund calls itself ESG, they're having to balance multiple different objectives about how they achieve different things. And so when those amalgamated ESG funds think about those various objectives, sometimes those objectives can be conflicting because you can try to push a firm to achieve a greater reduction of their carbon emissions, but that may be at the cost of something else that another investor may see as an ESG positive. And it's part of the part of the problem that firms and both in, in the investment investor community and the, the manager community have found is that uh, when you say that you're doing something and you may have the best intentions of doing so, because of those conflicting objectives and because of those those uh, demands upon where investors' demands are, are actually coming about, there's a lot of, of, of ways that that. The managers who provide those products and the investors who who are trying to look for those products could see uh, a a, a conflict between themselves and and trying to understand then when we look at ESG, when we think about that, what have they actually achieved? And then measuring that achievement versus 
uh, all sorts of metrics means that it's harder and harder to hit the criteria for every investor for a grouped fund for a pooled vehicle. And so what's, when we look at the data providers, if you look at the main providers, the, there's a low correlation between how you assess an ESG fund or an ESG, even an individual company that you're buying within that of on, on ESG. And then it's it's even less correlated between E versus S versus G and even less correlated if you sort it by asset class as well and think then, so what does that mean? How, do, how does that actually relate to, to the various products that you're putting together? Yeah, thank you. I think, um, yeah, I think this is something we found out on fifth by speaking to various both people in the public sector and also in the private sector that it's it's clearly still a, a murky space as to what is considered as ESG. I think this is where things like disclosures and standards and regulation can maybe help to uh, be able to um, split the boundaries between some of these components. Um, and it's certainly a topic that we'll be looking into in more detail. One of the, the parts of your article that I found quite interesting that can maybe help investors and managers to try and navigate some of this space was uh, understanding supply chains a lot better for, for companies. I was wondering what you, if you could give us a bit more, more detail about what the benefits are of uh, improved analysis and understanding of supply chains for, for investors. Absolutely. So again, this is based upon the findings that we, we've had from interviews across the buy side. So in our annual industry evolution reports, we, we build out that view on how man- both managers and investors approach ESG. And one of the things that they've mentioned is about how they can then find ways of tracking out and justifying what they've done. In part, this is due to regulatory impacts. And for example, the European Union's uh, regulatory impact of health assessing carbon emissions along a company's supply chain. So you uh, you can see what is the actual impact upon a, a, a company's carbon uh, dioxide emissions along the way. So, for example, you might be saying, well, not only uh, do we need to understand the net emissions of the end company that has created the product, but we also need to think about the emissions of the supply chain along the way. Now, part of that is happening for regulatory reasons, and part of it is happening for investor transparency. So you want to show your investors how you delivered against those end goals, how you've done X, Y, and Z. And so one of the things that's changed is that we, we start talking much more about uh, what the total impact of any investment is. What's the total impact of, of, of buying that end product or buying for example, the shares of a company or buying the, the bonds of a company, what's actually resulted from that uh, that firm's produce. And so once you've got that infrastructure in place, once you're analyzing all that part of the, the supply chain, there are other things that you can do then too. One of those, for example, is uh, not only the ESG impacts that you are necessarily looking for, but you can also find what are the potential ESG risks along that supply chain. So if a company is heavily reliant upon a particular plant that is causing uh, issues with water quality or, or is causing uh, major uh, nitrous, nitrogen dioxide emissions or, or something like that. All of these parts filter into what, how we assess that end company and what the products that it creates. And so you can then find by doing that analysis along the supply chain, what those other potential risks are. Uh, and that those can be multiple and particularly uh, when you're thinking from an ESG angle. The the second uh, implication that you can really pull out from this is not not just what what you start with from an ESG perspective, but also thinking about then where those other companies are and and understanding then 
because you're, you're you're now doing analysis of those other companies and the risks that they're causing to the environment or, or or social concerns or even governance concerns, you've then built up an enhanced analysis of what those other companies are as potential investment targets. Now, you may have been looking at them, at them already, and that's great. But now here's an additional way of, of building up complementary pieces of analysis that help supplement and enhance the view that you're you're looking at from for every company that you could potentially invest in. The third one allows us to really get much more tangible in terms of saying, well, it may start with ESG, but now we can think much more holistically around financial returns and be able to say, well, uh, for example, Apple's ability to deliver uh, their iPhones, that can be excellent. They can deliver as many products as they'd like. But when you understand the risks along that supply chain, where those potential uh, chokeholds and bottlenecks might be in that supply chain, you can then build out that analysis to understand what's that next risk that could come from it. So is that due to a COVID-related shutdown as happened in in China and and then the the related impacts upon Foxconn to deliver the, the component parts for Apple to be able to sell their pieces? So we may start and talk about ESG but it's important not to lose uh, lose perspective. This is one of the things that, that many of our clients have told us is that you can start with a pure intention from an ESG perspective, but there's also a hard dollar impact. In this case, you could argue it as being a, as a positive one uh, and, and in others, uh, you, you could see it as a mitigation perspective or anything beyond that too. Yeah, that's the, that's useful to know. I think uh, yeah, I think you're right. There's been so much focus more recently on on supply chains, not just from an ESG perspective, but of course, uh, I think a lot of firms from what we're we're seeing and hearing uh, are reconsidering their supply chains, maybe for geopolitical factors and mm-hmm. and many other reasons. Um, so yeah, absolutely, one to watch for. I think more generally, as as well as a, a more nuanced uh, and improved understanding of supply chains, uh, how are in investors and managers approaching uh, data differently when it comes to ESG? One of the key parts that we've been hearing is that there's been a shift in the way that we think about data, where previously we saw data as a fuel for investment decisions. That's not going away. That will continue to be there for for, for years. Uh, and I think that's going to be an, a crucial part of how firms come up with uh, their investment pieces. That is unlikely to ever go away. But what's also happening is that we're seeing data being used as a way of justification, of, of reporting, of thinking about then how you use that data to enhance what you've done and, and justify how you've gone about that. So that could be to do with the analysis of the supply chain. It could be to do with saying, well, we've, we've talked about how we've reduced carbon emissions Here's now how we did reduce those carbon emissions. So we move beyond the claim to the justification to the point of being able to say, and this is the result that came out of it. And that maturation of the discussion is 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 only coming about because of its enhanced data available, because firms are, whether they are fintech firms that are specifically in the space, whether that's managers who are looking at, at, at how they do this, whether that's alternative data providers or investors thinking about how they justify themselves and how they scrutinize the managers that they invest in. All of those parts coming together means that the data that we use to come up with the decisions is now also being used as a way to think about then putting it in, in that investor report, putting it in that stakeholder report to say, here's what came out as a result of the investment, which is, means that 
rather than having lots of firms who are guilty until proven innocent has, has been the, the fear of, of some that I can claim that I'm doing a great job on ESG, but until I can prove that, that you are in the same category as as others who may not actually be taking the same steps uh, as as yourself as, as, as an investor or a manager. And so that has, has been part of the ongoing change and challenge with uh, ESG data in particular, but also beyond that and thinking about what are the risks and returns? What are the financial risks and financial returns? And how do we translate that back to the end investor? So we can say, well, actually, we have delivered against your goals of, of uh, reducing volatility in your portfolio, of ensuring capital protection and anything beyond that. And that's part of an ongoing movement that, that has started in, in some places because of ESG, because we've been trying to understand and, and relay back to what it means to the end investor, but also then has the other impacts of it too. Sure. That's yeah. It it seems like one of the themes coming out from what you're saying is that some something can often start in uh, with that perspective of ESG, but there are broader implications more generally for investors and managers. And I suppose following on from that, how do you then see the future path of ESG investing? Will it still be kind of alternate asset class in its own space, or do you see it then being more normalized? being more mainstream in the way that uh, investors are approaching asset allocation and, and meeting their objectives more broadly? Here we've heard nuanced views from, from our client base and that for, for some, the idea of ESG as a separate idea, separate from active management, will disappear entirely. And, and, and for, for those managers, uh, the, the argument goes that ESG will be embedded to such an extent because of the other ana- risk analysis that we will do and the, thing, the points I, I mentioned earlier, but because of all that combination of, of factors, we'll see then that you wouldn't distinguish between an ESG fund and a non-ESG fund. It would simply be yet another hygiene factor that we use alongside how we've always thought of governance risk within a, a, uh, a corporate name. But there's also a, a, and others who will argue uh, that we will continue having ESG, but they'll become more more and more targeted in the way that they deliver against the the investor's goals. So you're not delivering against uh, broad ESG, but becoming more nuanced in the way that you deliver uh, your objective. So you can then become uh, not just ESG, but E, and then specifically within E, this is delivering against your objective on water, so that we'll become less generic and more targeted and outcome orientated. Uh, in the way that we will deliver against investors' goals. So I think there's uh, both v- views are being talked about very widely. And as yet, it's difficult to see which one will, will win out. But it's also possible that both do. And that for some managers, the ESG becomes embedded uh, part of their investment process, whilst for others, it becomes a much more explicit objective. And this is something that we may see as we see uh, the the evolution of ESG regulation in the EU, for example, with their, the split between Article 8 and Article 9, whether over time we see then a, a simplification of some of the measures you need to deliver against so that it can be embedded within investment products, whilst also having specific targeted impact-based funds that are looking about how they can deliver against those investors' goals. Yeah, so it, I guess the point being, there's a broader uh, array of ways this could play out. So I think uh, it's the case of let's let's wait and see, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I think, I guess what you're you're saying there, policymakers have a role to play in how how that how that path is plays out. Really, just wanted to know if you had any final remarks to wrap up this topic of ESG investing and 
the challenges and opportunity around uh, data? One of the things that we, we've uh, observed is that who is driving that ESG growth and where previously ESG was was driven from a a, a retail investor base, and that's where the majority of, of, of ESG AUM still is today. Um, but now with what we're seeing is across each region, a growth in that institutional appetite uh, and demand for ESG, uh, whether that's to do with large government mandates in terms of saying we we want you to move in these directions in some cases. Sometimes it's to do with regulatory impacts. Uh, sometimes it's to do with trying to capture that large investor ticket. And so what we've seen is that the shift in terms of that build out of ESG over time has meant that we've seen a maturation of the strategies that are being used. And so it's no longer sufficient to say we're going to avoid X, Y, and Z, but what are the other things you're going to do instead? And so uh, one of the things our clients have been telling us is that they expect an ongoing trend in this direction of, of building out that uh, that narrative. For some, it will continue to be a uh, trying to keep the message as simple as possible so that it can be understood uh, and then easily marketed. But for others, you will see a shift in terms of how we will uh, communicate what we deliver against and how we will uh, build the product that gets us there. But there's, there's clearly a, a lot of room to grow, whilst at the same time there's an increase in the amount of AUM being tacked as ESG, particularly in, in Europe. So uh, it, it's it's going to be a space that that we'll be watching for some time, I'm sure. Yeah, likewise with uh, with us at OnFIF, uh, it's a topic we'll be looking into in more detail in our upcoming report of global public investors and, and reserves managers and how they're approaching uh, ESG and yeah again when it comes to our global public pensions uh, reports for 2023 later this year this will be uh, tracking this trend in more detail to see how uh, institutional investors more generally are are thinking about uh, this space that just leaves me to thank you Adnan for your time uh, on today's podcast I'm sure yeah, the listeners found your, your insights around this topic uh, useful yeah to everyone listening thank you for your time uh, and we'll be back with another on fifth podcast shortly thank you Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the OnFifth podcast.